big point that the apostles in the writing of the New Testament, in the revealing of uh, the revelation, in the revelation of who Jesus Christ is and what he has done, and I would dare even say, uh, even back into the Old Testament, at the revealing of the presence and the word and the will of God, uh, there, there is this underlying motif and this underlying truth that the gospel of Jesus Christ will either leave you absolutely unmoved or it will leave you absolutely moved. And those are the two paths that occur in a person's heart when they are presented with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Either you stand firm in your unbelief, either you are completely unmoved, unfazed, and even uh, outright antagonistic or rebellious to this gospel, or it will change your life. The heart of man and women will entrench itself, dig in deep, and fortify itself in its own conceptions of truth, morality, and salvation. This is my truth. This is what is good for me. This is what's gonna save me. And it'll dig in. And this is, this is true for every person on the planet and every person in history. And because it is only by the movement of the Holy Spirit, it is only in a divine act of God that our hearts can be moved and our lives can be changed. It is, the, it is only by the Holy Spirit that dead men can be raised to life. It is only by the Holy Spirit that a heart of unbelief can be melted into faith. <coughs> I suppose this is both uh, simultaneously maybe discouraging, but also encouraging to those who are you know, engaged in any sort of evangelism or outreach or gospel sharing, right? Because it's like, man, I've worked so hard to, to, to share the gospel with this person, <coughs> with my family, and I don't see anything happening. Like, man, I put in the work, I put in all this, and like nothing's happening. Um, <coughs> that is the, maybe discouraging, but then we turn the, turn the page and we realize that uh, it is by the work of the Holy Spirit, it is by God's divine will, <coughs> that can change a person and we are to find peace in that uh, that we are being used by God <coughs> to present the gospel and to present this opportunity for the Holy Spirit to work and move in the hearts of men and women <coughs> um, but when the Holy Spirit comes and when the Holy Spirit works in your heart, when the Holy Spirit works in anybody's heart, what ends up happening is that there is a revival. There is this act of death becoming life, of lost becoming found, of blind becoming sight. <coughs> 
and there isn't an, an uh, and similarly <coughs> there is an act of refreshment <coughs> there is an act at the moment of salvation at the moment of regeneration as the theologians call it at that moment there is a refreshing that comes about there is when you when when the holy spirit is regenerated in your heart you feel lighter right and in the words of jesus in matthew you feel like a weight has been lifted off your shoulders right the weight of sin the weight of condemnation the weight of death that has been you have been refreshed in the gospel and this is not just a singular thing but throughout our sanctification throughout the journey of christian life we are to remember the gospel and remember this refreshment that happens on a daily basis i know sometimes we feel like when we're working at church or like we're working for the gospel working to expand the kingdom of god uh, there's this word that we throw around sometimes that we're afraid of burning out <coughs> we're afraid if we work too hard we're afraid if we put in too much time put in too much care and you know for the gospel's sake that we're just gonna collapse and burn out but no the holy spirit and the gospel of christ promises us that we are going to be refreshed in the gospel refreshed by the peace of god refreshed by the love of god um, and so when we look at the book of philemon when we see this letter to philemon we see um very distinct examples of refreshment gospel refreshment in the characters at play in uh, philemon <coughs> <coughs> and, uh, and so we'll start with Onesimus. Onesimus is, if you don't know, Onesimus is a slave, a bondservant, um, and Philemon is actually his master. And Paul's writing to Philemon um, saying, hey, you know, he ran away from you, something happened. I don't know exactly what happened, but he's coming back to you. I pray that you would treat him as you would treat me. So Paul is writing. So three characters in Philemon are Paul, Onesimus, and uh, Philemon. So Onesimus, <coughs> the bondservant, how has he refreshed in the gospel? How has his life been, been made lighter? Uh, well, for Onesimus, he is refreshed in his social standing. Again, in this letter, we know him as a bondservant, as a slave, as someone who is legally the property of somebody else. He is not his own. He is not. He doesn't have. He doesn't have the freedom to go where he wants. He doesn't have the freedom to be who he wants to be. Um, but as we know from last week, and if you weren't here last week, we know that eventually uh, he isn't a bond servant. We see later in the book of Colossians that he is walking about. He is traveling, and Paul's plea to Philemon. <coughs> that you would treat him not as a bondservant, but as your own brother. Brother in Christ, a brother in the faith, uh, this becomes a reality. And not only that, but we know through church history that Onesimus is not simply a Christian brother, but he ends up actually becoming the bishop of the church in Ephesus. And so his refreshment is the refreshment of his social standing, that he went from a bondservant to a brother to a bishop. We all love a good... Uh, rags to riches story but how was it that Onesimus uh, was able to do this I think in America we love rags to riches stories because there is a sense of like you know if you put the work in if you grind it out you know you can go from the mailroom to like CEO right like we always we have this, 
that the start in her head, right? Uh, yeah, pretty, yeah, Chansu, yeah. Um, his, his play, anyway, you, we, you can, anyway. Um, we, and we have this, like, we have this, like, grind out, and we, and we, we as an American, uh, you know, capitalistic culture, we, we respect the grind, right? Respect the grind, um, whether it's in business, whether it's a uh, coffee meets bagel, whether it's uh, whether it's like your school, you know, you respect the grind, right? Um, <coughs> but again, with Onesimus, uh, that grind is not possible. That grind is not possible. He doesn't have a choice. He does not have a choice. He has literally no legal standing to do what he wants to do, to be who he wants to be. And yet, we see in the Bible story and in church history that he goes from bondservant to brother to bishop. And we see, and we know, we say, man, if he if he grinded it out and you know made a movie about it, but it would be like, how how did that happen? And we know that with Onesimus, it is not a matter of work. It is not a matter of grinding it out that caused him to experience this social transformation, but rather, it was a result of external forces outside of his own control. It was a result of other people acting on his behalf, and he had no say in the matter. And not only that, he had no, nothing to give. He had nothing to offer these people who were working to enact change in his life. In fact, Paul says to Philemon, Anesimus is useless to you, but now he is useful. Why? The answer is grace. Grace is the external working of things for our benefit, even though we did not deserve those benefits. Even though we did no work inside of ourselves to obtain and achieve these blessings. Onesimus is refreshed in his social standing because of the work of grace and the work of the gospel and people outside of himself in the community that he found himself in. In and what was that community he found himself in? Well, first, um, the external working that needed to occur was in the heart of Philemon, his master. <coughs> and while Onesimus is refreshed in his social standing, that he went from the bottom of the barrel to the top. Although I guess socially speaking, being a Christian. Even if you're a bishop, it's not like the highest social standing you can have. But anyway, because uh, um, they were persecuted. But Philemon, um, he's already high up the social totem pole. But, but he is refreshed, not in his social standing, but he is refreshed in his anti-cultural norms. He is refreshed in his working against the norms of his society, and working against an opposite of what is expected of him as a rich Roman citizen who owns slaves. Paul appeals to Philemon and says, I am sending this man back to you. Paul, fully knowing what could happen to Onesimus, what, uh, under, at least under Roman law, what should happen to Onesimus, because what do we know about Onesimus? That A, he ran away, and B, he probably stole something or did something wrong uh, to Philemon. He, he wronged Philemon in some tangible way, um, as we'll see a little later. And so 
Philemon can do a lot of things to Onesimus. He could have him thrown in jail. He could have him you know, physically punished. We know Romans love physical punishment. And so he could have him you know, flogged. He could have him killed. But again, we know that this is not what ended up happening to Onesimus because he lives at least a decade after this. Because we know in Colossians, Colossians were written seven years after. But anyway, so we know that's not what happened. But Philemon, <coughs> uh, and therefore we can assume and we can infer that Philemon goes against what is expected of him, goes against what is maybe even required of him as a rich slave owner, and shows grace, shows the grace to Onesimus, shows the mercy to Onesimus, and in fact, perhaps even shows something greater than that, shows brotherly love to Onesimus. Because Onesimus eventually becomes one of Paul's traveling partners. And you can't travel without money. Just going to assume you got that money from somewhere. And finally, we get to Paul. Uh, and Paul's refreshment is uh, one of these examples of an ongoing refreshing in his life. Because he is refreshed in his indomitable joy. I say that word a lot these past few months, but Paul truly perhaps is the second most, second happiest person in the Bible, the first being Jesus. Paul is the second happiest person in the Bible. Uh, you know, we look at verse 7, for I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Remember, Paul is in prison at this moment. He says, I am a prisoner for Christ. It doesn't mean that metaphorically, he means that literally. I, because I am for Christ, I'm in jail. Um, and yet, even in this moment, he finds himself filled with joy, filled with thanksgiving, because of the gospel work in his heart. <coughs> and so we need to ask ourselves, uh, in what way has the gospel refreshed us? We see Onesimus, he's been refreshed in his social standing. We see Philemon, he's been refreshed um, in his thoughts about culture. Paul has been refreshed in his conceptions of joy. How have we been refreshed by the gospel? Um, and I think the common thread among Onesimus, Philemon, and Paul, even though these, these three ways in which they're experiencing refreshment seem very different, <coughs> the common thread that uh, is strong between Onesimus, Philemon, Paul, and now us here today is that the blessing of refreshment stems from self-sacrifice. The blessing of gospel refreshment stems from self-sacrifice. And we are all together experiencing the koinonia of suffering and self-sacrifice. In verse 17, Paul uses this word partner. Partner. If you are my partner. And the word for that in the Greek is koinonos. Koinonos. Which is the same root as koinonia. If you've been in church for any number of time, you may have heard of this Greek word. But koinonia is kind of this all-encompassing word that suggests ideas of generosity, fellowship, unity. In fact, in verse 6, uh, when Paul says sharing, <clears throat> read it for you, 
And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge. So he's, what he's suggesting there, he says koinonia, right? He's, he's not saying, you know, the way we think about sharing faith, where we go sitting on the sidewalk and be like, hey, have you heard of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Like, that's not the sort of sharing that he's referring to. The sort of sharing he's referring to is the gathering and eating together. The loving one another, the keeping up with one another, the saying, hey, how are you? Are you okay? That is the koinonia that we're, we're seeing. And, um, <coughs> and the koinonia that these Christians, the early Christians and the, and the Christians here now, um, this koinonia comes as a result of transformative faith and salvation. The gospel that moves our hearts, the gospel that incites the Holy Spirit to enter our hearts and move us to our core, this is that koinonia. This is how we are going to change. We are experienced koinonia, not just in the good times, but also in our suffering, also in our self-sacrifice. I don't know if you're watching Love is Blind, but uh, G, the self-sabotage, does anybody understand this reference? Anyway, um, Actually, self-sabotage is sort of the call of the Christian. And Christianity and the gospel movement in our hearts actually comes at a cost, right? Um, and we, let's, look at, let, let's look at our characters. The cost for Onesimus um, is very apparent. <coughs> because Paul says, hey, you know that master that you have, the master you ran away from, the, the master you stole something from? Uh, yeah, you're going to go back to him and you're gonna share the gospel with him. And imagine being Onesimus in this moment. Um, Paul, because Paul's saying this, if you, are my, if you are my partner in Koinonia, return to somebody who is probably very angry with you, who is probably going to hurt you. Return to them so that you can be a useful witness. That is the sacrifice that Onesimus needs to make in faith and in confidence. Paul seems pretty confident that like uh, that Philemon's gonna listen to him, but you never know, right? They're far away, He's in, Paul's in Rome. Philemon's in Colossae, Colossae and who knows what can happen in between. <coughs> but because of this fellowship, because of this uh, sharing in the faith and sharing in sacrifice, Onesimus obeys and goes back in order to in order to uh, work for the gospel's sake. There is a cost for Philemon. Paul says, essentially says to him, "If you are my partner in Koinonia, do this thing that will hurt your social standing." It's going to hurt your reputation among your friends and among your elite social circle. Do this thing because you will gain a brother for eternity. He's asking him to sacrifice his social standing in order that he may gain something greater. And it's funny because Paul uh, does not exempt himself from this self-sacrifice. Uh, in verse 19, 18, he says this, If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. Just a side note, this letter was probably 
dictated by Paul and written by Timothy. In the beginning, he says, Paul, a prisoner for Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother. That probably means Paul's like laying in bed, and he's like, write this down. Timothy's writing it. At this point, though, Paul probably takes the pen from Timothy, and he says, I will pay you back, signed, Paul H. Jiminy. I don't know. And he, and he writes it with my own hand, and he promises to Philemon, hey, if he owes you anything, um, I'm going to pay it. <coughs> We have to understand that this is an extraordinary thing that he is saying, because um, <coughs> I think when you, I think there's a difference when you steal from a poor man and you steal from a rich man, all right? When you go into, you know, if you go into like a poor person's house, go into my house, and uh, <laughs> knocking down the door, and you're like, oh, that TV, right? Take that TV. That TV's gonna be like. 50 bucks, like tops on Craigslist. But if you if you bust into a rich person's house and you're like, that TV, that's gonna fetch you, depends on the TV, I guess. You know, Samsung LED, like whatever, right? That's gonna fetch you a lot more than that poor man's TV. And Paul is saying, hey, whatever Onesimus may have stolen from you, whatever wrong he has done to you, I will pay it back. Philemon is not a poor guy. If Onesimus is willing to risk his life you know, he's probably not taking like a charity. He's gonna take something good, right? <coughs> not only that, but we know that Paul is also not a rich man. He is so poor, in fact, that sometimes, <coughs> sometimes he has to uh, stop what he's doing. Oh, <laughs> Uh, he has to stop what he's doing <coughs> and just like start making leather products. Um, we know that Paul is really poor. We know that <coughs> that in um, you know in the in the book of Corinth in the his letters to the Corinthians things. <coughs> I don't have room. Uh, <laughs> not yet. <coughs> We know that money is not something that comes easily to him, and yet he promises that if you are my partner in Koyonia, I will do this thing that will absolutely hurt my wallet, even though there's nothing in my wallet. Um, even though I have very little to give, I will fulfill this promise that I made to you because I will be refreshed in my giving to you. <coughs> and so, um, we ask, how do I, you know, I'm afraid of burning out. <coughs> I'm afraid that I'm not going to experience all these promises of the gospel. How do I experience the full refreshment of gospel life? And I guess the annoying thing about Christianity is that you gain a life by losing it. We experience the full refreshment of gospel life by self-sacrifice. John 12, 25, whoever loves his life will lose it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. 1 John 3, 16, by this we know love that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. <coughs> 
experience the full refreshment of Christian life. We need to lay down our ideas of achievement in order to gain what has already been achieved for us through the cross of Christ. In order to experience full refreshment, we need to put away, put away our quest for cultural relevance for the sake of experiencing the kingdom of God at work in us. To experience full joy, we must experience suffering and self-sacrifice. The beauty of Christianity is that this call to suffering, this call to sacrifice, is not an individual call, but it is a call that, he, that is made to the church, to the universal church of Christ. And that as we are sacrificing for the sake of each other, they are also sacrificing for you. And so that we are all we're not just like shedding, shedding ourselves, but we are gaining in love, we are gaining in unity, and we are gaining in refreshment of the heart of the soul. <coughs> the gospel of Christ um, is foolishness and a stumbling block to the unbeliever. But to those who are in Christ, and in Christ together, it will leave us absolutely moved and absolutely changed and we will lose our lives, but we will gain something much, much more. I pray that the Holy Spirit uh, is working in each and every one of our hearts and that it is inviting us to a self-sacrificial life of faith so that we can gain more and more of Christ. Let's pray.